Today on the Talent Cast, you know that old saw about how uh, the only thing you can't talk about is sex, religion, politics, or money? We're gonna break that rule. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. It is, uh, for those of you not in the U.S., it is daylight savings time, which means for some reason we push our clocks back an hour in the middle of the night, and luckily our iPhones and, and devices do all the work of handling all that stuff for us, but it effectively fucks our head for the rest of the week. It's Honestly, if, if they won't completely repeal daylight savings time, they should at least give us a day or two. Monday and Tuesday off as a national holiday so we can recuperate, especially those of us with young children who don't understand the concept of time, even remotely, who don't understand why they're waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and why it's so bright outside, but why we're not allowed to wake up. It's a very confusing time. Those of you not in North America, I don't think you get to deal with this stuff. Uh, Lucky you. (laughs) But I want to have, now that we've hit episode 52, which effectively means a year of this thing, uh, I want to talk about the most scary thing I can think of, and that is budgets. I want to talk about money. Yeah, yeah. I think obviously you can't ignore the concept of money, not just because this is a capitalist society, but because money is the ultimate resource. We talk about how time is the ultimate resource, but that's a bunch of bull. Um, we can find ways to make time, but we can't find ways, especially those of us in HR and talent acquisition, to make money. Most of us, if not all of us, live in a cost center world, meaning for all the good and amazingness we do at work, they look at us as if we're just there to spend money willy-nilly like drunken sailors, um, like it's a freaking game show to them or to us. That's obviously not right. And I, it, it, We've had the conversation of what would, what would we be if we could conceive of ourselves not as a cost center but as a profit center, and obviously that's a huge sea change of thought, which is not happening this week. But what is happening this week for a lot of you is it's time to talk about your annual budgets. And budgets are important because unless you decide what you're going to spend next year, you can't spend it next year, meaning you can't try that tactic, and you can't try that tool, and you can't invest in this idea, and you can't train your people, and you can't build a what's it, or you can't do those things unless you've decided roughly last month and this month to budget for it. Now, some of you are in smaller companies whose budget um, cycles are a bit shorter, meaning you might not have to deal with it until um, later in the month or early December, or frankly, you may not have a budget cycle. I've actually worked in places where... um, you were working a little hand to mouth, right? You were you were spending the money as it showed up, or you had to make a case for everything you wanted to spend as you needed to spend it, and where you couldn't plan ahead of time. Which is, I don't know that it's better or worse. I don't know that there's any good situation in which budget planning makes any kind of sense or makes anybody feel good, where it doesn't feel like um, 
a nightmare and a headache all rolled into one. There's just, I can't conceive of a way. Unless you're working for Facebook and Google, i.e. places that just effectively print money and would you say, hey, I'd like to, and before you finish that sentence, someone shows up with a cartoon bag of money with a dollar sign on it, or in your case, maybe a pound sign or a euro sign or a yen sign, or I don't know who you people are. Um, I love you all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, unless you work for one of those companies that just prints money, you are in the talent acquisition, that you are spending money, and without a clear ROI, without a clear, we gave you a dollar, you brought us back a dollar twenty. There's unlike sales teams, unlike research and development, unlike uh, I don't know coding, engineering places where you can say, look, if you give us this money, we can bring forth these ideas, these concepts, these tools, these sales, these contracts that show money, right? Now, granted, none of those things happen unless talent acquisition shows up and actually brings them in the door and puts them a butt in the seat and says, you're hired, start. But no one thanks us for that. No one really worries about that. We, they just know that we're here to do that job, and there you go, which kind of sucks, which means, yeah, we're a cost center. That's all we are to them. We're just a cost center. We're just there to spend money on an on ATS, which is coded horribly generally. Um, looks like it, it was coded in the 1980s and updated once every decade since then and poorly, um, but is somehow still unbelievably expensive. Why? Because it mostly, if you you know, in a lot of companies, it manages good swaths and chunks of the HR administrative process. Everything from offer letters to promotion systems to org charts to uh, uh, benefits to you name it. Some of those ATSs can do all that and so much more poorly. <laughs> What's the joke? There's no such thing as a good ATS. There's only there's only a new ATS and. Uh, yeah, you'll get, you'll hate it soon enough. So you're spending a whole lot of money on ATS, and you kind of have. And if you're locked to an ATS model, you have to spend money on the ATS. You can't suddenly decide not to spend the money on ATS. Then your next biggest expenditure is ex ex expenditure is staffing. You've got recruiters, you've got sourcers, you've got coordinators, you've got managers, you've got management structures. Uh, depending on the size of your company, you may have one or two people. You may have. 20 or 30 people you may have hundreds of people and if you're in a company who does this with hundreds of people hey how you doing i don't know why you're listening to me but <laughs> you're a massive company this is crazy to think that you know you'd be listening to me but here you go but you're all going through the same process regardless of your size you think about where are you spending your money and you think well should i spend the money now Having done this a couple of times in a couple of different organizations nonprofits and for-profits so trust me nobody's having a good time here the process is almost always the same. What did you spend last year? Here's 3%. Maybe it's 5 if you're feeling profitable. Maybe it's 1 if you're feeling not profitable. Maybe they're telling you to stay flat. Maybe they're telling you to shave a little off. And that's what you start with. You start with, what did you do last year? Do it within the plus or minus 5%. Simple as that. Which sounds easy enough but of course it's not because every one of your vendors has just upped its prices by five and ten and fifteen and twenty percent i'm not naming names but i don't think i have to and you all have three vendors in mind when i said that and that's hilarious but it's true it's true there are a handful of those vendors who've decided you can't live we can't live without them and thus they're just going to turn on the pricing guides the numbers suddenly magically went up i'm not going to name what company i'm thinking about but we all know what i'm thinking about and that company assumes because every one of your recruiters needs a place at the table at this recruiting sourcing tool thus they can charge you whatever they want to charge you now the tool itself that perhaps that seat for your recruiter or a recruiting seat i don't think i have to name names um, you all know what I'm talking about. Um, 
there's zero marginal cost, meaning the cost for them to add another seat to you costs them nothing, but they're still going to charge you five to $10,000 a year for that seat. Where did they come up with that number? They just came up with the number. The, their, their resources are repaid. You know, it's already been paid for. The research has been done. The R&D has been paid for. It has 100% effective margin on those things. They just make up a number. They could charge you $20 for it and still make a profit probably. But they don't. They charge you five to $10,000. That is painful. And they are not the only company who does that. There are plenty of other companies, again, not naming names, who are selling you a product that is effectively marginal cost of zero. Whether it's job slots, whether it's, and that's from any number of job boards, whether it's promotion costs. You think that when you go to AdWords or Indeed Promotions or Glassdoor or any company that you, you're putting an ad on, do you think it costs them any money when you buy an ad? No, it's completely 100% automated. They're already investing in the infrastructure. They had to do that anyway. So your unit marginal cost is nothing. And yet they're going to charge you out the wazoo form. And again, I do not begrudge anyone for making a buck. Please, we all want money. We love money. We all like to make some money, despite the fact that we're in HR talent acquisition. It's still true. We still like to make money. We still like to get paid. So I'm not begrudging anybody. However, however, the model by which you say, I got to plan for next year's budget, so I'm going to take last year's budget and tack on or remove or shave a couple of percentage points off it and think and plan accordingly while all my costs go up, and that includes salaries, and that includes vendors, and that includes infrastructure. Do you think your ATS cost is going down? No. Do you think your tool cost is going down? No. Do you think anybody wants to take a pay cut this year? No. Do you think every single person who works for you wants to raise this year? Yeah. Where are you saving this money exactly? And that's the trap we all get caught in, right? We take last year's money, we shave a little off, or we tack a little on, but it's not enough to cover all the, the increases in prices across the board. So we are effectively asked to do effective more with a smidge less, which is painful. Why? Well, can you take 2% off your LinkedIn budget or your Glassdoor budget or your Indeed budget or your ATS budget? No, you can't. Those things are sold to you in massive, massive chunks. You don't take, if you're spending 200, 300, 500,000 on LinkedIn, and some of you are, um, you can't find a way to take six or seven grand off. You have to remove a tool. You have to lose a couple of seats. You have to stop promoting you know, budgets at a function of 10,000 bucks a chunk. There's no shaving. And that's on purpose. These companies have decided that the best way to keep you on the hook is to make it very hard to squeeze in under the wire. Thus, you have to remove huge chunks of service, and it's very hard to justify that. And that's where you're in the squeeze. This sound familiar? It probably should. This is how every company I've ever worked with feels. Everybody they work with wants five bucks more, and if you say, can we have five bucks less? They say, no, but you can have 100,000 bucks less because we're canceling our contract. They're all holding you hostage. Again, not begrudging anybody the idea of making money, and everybody optimizes, every vendor, every company, every agency optimizes their structures to maximize their profits, right? Tis the American way, so to speak, and if you're not in America, I'm sure it's the way it is where you are too. Not to get too, you know, Euro or American centric there. So, if that's the trap you're living in, what's the solution? Well, let's start with a thought exercise. Let's pretend. Let's pretend it's it, you know it's 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 a Sunday for me anyway. It's not for you unless you're listening to this week late. Um, maybe you're in your car on the way to work. It's Monday or Tuesday, and 
your coffees, you know, you got your coffee, maybe you're driving, maybe you're taking the bus or the train, I don't know how you do it. Maybe you're walking, maybe you're biking. Uh, and if you're biking, I'm, I'm guessing you're in, in the Netherlands. Hey, how you doing? Um, you, got, you got a little time to think. What would it be like? Do this exercise. What would your world be like if instead of your leadership saying, hey, it's the same budget as last year, but plus or minus three or four percent. What if they said, what would you do with half? What would you do with half? And that's me being generous because the real exercise is, what would it be like if I nuked your budget and made you work with 90% less than you worked with last year? What would you do differently? Because by forcing you to think about the 2 and 3 and 5%, the ups and downs, the little shaving and the little ups and little add-ons and little, little tweaks, you are locked into a way of thinking, right? If your recruiters expect to have a LinkedIn seat, because they had one last year, and you need to lose a recruiter seat because you were trying to shave that money and save it and squeeze your budget inside this new window that you've been given, you've now told one of your recruiters you're not a good recruiter because that's how that works, right? That's how that recruiter is going to feel. For better or for worse, for true or false, you've now picked that one recruiter and said, I have to take one seat away, and it has to be yours. I'm very sorry. And maybe you play the game where you kind of shuffle it around a little bit, but that's pain, pain the rumpus, and that, that sucks. No one wants to do that. But that's hard to do. You can't say, hey, Glassdoor, I'd love to work with you more, but I have to save three grand, so I'm going to have to use fewer job slots or fewer, fewer promotions. Right? And now that vendor's not happy with you, and maybe you've hurt that relationship, or maybe they come back at you and say, "Okay, what if we did this?" And you're, 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 you're. I'm not saying I'm gonna say rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic, but that's what you're doing. You're saying the strategy, which, by the way, is what this is, because that strategy is a function of your resources and how you allocate those resources. Because you're trying to allocate the resource effectively the same way as you did last year. Because no one wants to change, no one wants to get a tool lost because one person uses it, not everybody uses it. You're locked into what you did last year. Now, how effective was last year? You get all your goals met? Do you uh, have any hiring managers yell at you saying, where the heck is this? Why can't we fill this role? Why, are you, why aren't you sourcing it properly? How hard can this be? Everybody had that conversation this year. <laughs> I'm sure everybody had that conversation once this year where someone was mad that they couldn't turn that job around. Why? Well, because that hiring manager may have had overly high expectations, or you just got swamped because you had a new office you had to fill, or who knows? You know the job. You know how it goes. But what you're saying is by keeping the budgets the same as last year but plus or minus a couple of percentage, you're saying we're doing it again this year. What you're saying is I've chosen to not solve my problems because I'm not going to think strategically. I'm going to pick one tool. I'm going to pick another tool. I might be inclined to replace one tool with another tool that does effectively the same for maybe 10% less, and maybe that's going to save me. But you're, sh you're doing the same thing over and over again. The, the exercise of saying, what would you do if you had 50% budget or 10% budget, not 102% or 98% budget, but radically less, forces you to say, how would I meet the, my goals in a completely brand new way because there's no way to approach that problem without starting with a clean piece of paper. Maybe the solution is to nuke your ATS. Say, get rid of it. We can find a way to do this another way. There's got to be a better way. And by the way, there are better ways if you're willing to incur the pain of shifting, if you're willing to incur the change in mindset of using them, right? 
For example, what if you're trying to shift from a place where um, you know, you've got those LinkedIn seats and you've got some IntelliSourcing tools and you've got some Glassdoor stuff and you've got some content and you've got you know, some Indeed job board stuff and you've got your ATS and you're, you're pretty well stocked. And someone comes to you and says, yeah, what if you did this for 50%? What could you really lose? Is it people? Is it tools? Is it ATSs? Is it, what would you do? Would you stop doing events? If you stop doing events, how do you get your name out there? The exercise is really fascinating, and I think everybody should do this as a, you know, go take your leadership team and go out to a, I don't know, not a conference room, but, or even a coffee shop, though frankly, coffee shop, yummy. Um, get off-site, go someplace and kill an afternoon on a Thursday or something and say, okay, if we had to do this exercise, what would we really do? Because what it forces you to do, not just start from a clean sheet of paper, but to ask yourselves, what is our objective? What are we really trying to do here? Is our objective to put a butt in a seat? Is that what we need to be optimized around? If so, okay. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying if that's the way you want to do it, there are tools that help you do it and tools that don't help you do it as much. And you would learn how to optimize around that idea. Forcing yourself to go through this exercise forces you to figure out what's truly important to your job and to the company. That's the most important part. And then once you have that mindset, once you have that goal of this is what's important, it's not about the having events for the sake of having events because they kind of sort of help some brand awareness kind of sort of, which by the way they do, and I love events, and events are incredibly powerful, so don't take that as me you know, poo-pooing on events. Events are great. I love events I, as long as I don't have to manage them. But do you need that event? If you had $20 instead of $200,000, would you do the event differently? Would you go to the event at all? What if you had to go guerrilla style to that event? What if you paid for a ticket to show up and then found a way to get on the app and get on the, 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 the hashtag and maybe leave some flyers around and maybe put some posters up you know, in a guerrilla market kind of marketing kind of style? What if you could do it differently? What if you could put a Snapchat filter around the entire event that talked about you? You could do that same event for the price of a ticket and a couple hundred bucks instead of having to put together a booth for 20 grand or 25 grand or 200,000 grand in some cases. You could do it differently. You can really do everything differently. Your ATS is not a necessity. LinkedIn is not a necessity. Glassdoor is not a necessity. Are they powerful, useful tools? Hell yeah. But if you can't afford them, you can't afford them. And by forcing yourself to think through this process, you really get to focus on what's important and what's not. Is it important? Do you need all these people? I'm sure they're all great. I'm sure they're all wonderful. How much can you truly automate? If you change the system, if you change your ATS, if you changed your sourcing, if you invested in a, um, an AI tool or a chat bot that asked and collected the information from that first phone or conversation, could you afford to shift some people around? How much does that tool cost versus how much of the savings do you have for that person? And if you do that, you can't change, you can't leave the rest of it there. That's the trick about the 3 to 5% increase or decrease. It, it tricks you to think you just have to make one change. But HR, talent acquisition, is a system, right? If you say half of your recruiters no longer can afford to get recruiter seats because now they have to get this or that, that's not the only change you can make. Because suddenly that recruiter has to think about, how do I spend my time? What am I going to be doing all day? Do I have tools that help me do that? If not, do I get fired? If you lose those recruiter seats and your recruiters are now forced to think about, how do I find people outside of LinkedIn, 
What do they do? Where are they going? Do you need to make sure they go to events? Do you need to make sure they have Google AdWords? Do you need to make sure that they're focused on social recruiting? Do they have the content for social recruiting? Do they have the, the, the network for social recruiting? Each change begets ripples of change across your entire ecosystem. Again, forcing that 3 to 5% change says don't change the ecosystem. Make a minor tweak. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who have done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. So I, I presume everybody has heard the concept of a frog in a pot of water. And if you haven't, I will go ahead and retell the story as quickly as I can. The um, completely wrong, but it's, a, you know, it's one of those stories that gets told over and over again so everybody pretends it's true, but it's, it's more really more metaphor, metaphorical than anything else. And that is if you put, take a hot pot of water and you make it hot and boiling, you throw a frog, and the frog jumps out because the frog goes, holy crap, that's really hot. But if you take a, cold, a pot of cold water and the frog goes in, the frog goes, yeah, 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 it's water. And then you put fire under it, and the water slowly gets warmer and warmer till one day the, fro- the water's boiling, the frog will die because the frog won't realize the change has happened. It will be such an incremental change that it won't take the dramatic action of leaping out of the pot because it never notices that it's in danger. And that sounds like the greatest metaphor for HR budgets I can think of. You make these slow year over year, over year, over year, over year, incremental 3 to 5% changes up or down, you never ask the hard questions. You never focus on what if we did it for 10%? What if we did it for 50%? What if we really had to start with a true clean sheet of paper? What if I had to say, I'm firing everybody on my team and starting from there? Who do I keep? What's realistic? If I'm losing 20% of my staff or 50% of my staff, what do I replace it with? If I have a tool that lets me replace that staff, what else do I have to change? You have to think about this systemically, which means you really have to think about it strategically. Now, strategy is one of those things where you have to understand where am I going and how am I getting there? That's what strategy is all about. For all the, the, as much as I use the word strategy and other people use the word strategy and they never define it, strategy is one of those amazing words that kind of seems to mean everything and nothing, like design, <laughs> like systems. Um, that's all strategy is. How do you get to where you want to go? Where do you want to go and how do you get there? If you want to go from here, from wherever you are to 20 miles north, the means by which you get there, whether it's walking or horseback or train or car, is a tactic. The tactic of being on the horse or the car doesn't say this is, how, this is how we're getting to that place you want to go. You have to start with knowing where you want to go. And that comes with having an objective. And from HR, we rarely discuss objectives. And that's the complaint most other parts of the business have about HR. You are article after article after article, this year especially has been, has been great about it, has talked about how do you get a seat at the table? How does HR and talent acquisition get a seat at the table? As if there's a table, but whatever. 
And the answer is always that you need to talk about business. You know, the complaint is the business has made the decision to, uh, to open this new office over here, and that means we need to hire 150 people brand new on top of whatever we're doing, our normal kind of churn and burn process, right? A retention process and, and backfilling of, of existing sites, of existing roles. But suddenly we have this new office over there that needs 150 new people. But somehow our budget remained the same. To which all of you just went, oh, that's so unfair. And you're right, it is. A business that thinks you just magically pull people out of thin air and put butts in seats is not a business that understands what strategy is and understands what planning is. I mean, they wouldn't have magically thought the office opened without paying more rent. Why do they think the people show up without paying more recruiters to put them in the seats, right? It's patently obvious, but that's the complaint. Those decisions get made without HR and talent acquisition at the table. And the reason is, is because they treat HR and talent acquisition like a service they just use. And the more you can show you understand the purpose of the business, the purpose is the business to grow or to maintain or to increase quality without increasing uh, uh, size, which means every backfill has to be incrementally or exponentially more higher quality than the person who left, which is a valid strategy. Or you're in a period of, of downturn and you need to grow or you need to shrink smartly, knowing which roles to backfill and which to allow to just go away. That's an objective to which you have to build a strategy that maximizes the tools and tactics at your disposal to meet that objective. Welcome to strategy. Do you decide to do everything with pencil and paper? You could. That's a valid way to do it. Is it going to get you there effectively? Probably not. You choose not to. You invest in an ATS. Look, investing in the ATS was the first strategic decision you or your predecessor or your predecessor's predecessor ever made. Probably because spending anywhere from... 20, 30, 50, 100, 200,000 plus dollars every single year on this tool means you have to use the tool, which means you're going to offload as many of the other functions onto this tool because you've already sunk the cost. You've already spent the money. How many, how many of your ATSs, of yours ATS, is a function of we were using a tool on some other place, they offered a free ATS or they offered an add-on ATS and we decided to use it because it was more effective and cost-effective? Did you make that choice strategically yourself or did someone thrust it upon you because it made more financial sense? Chances are it's the latter. But that sets a strategy because now you have to use this ATS. You have to understand how the ATS thinks and how the ATS works and how the ATS wants information, how the, what the ATS can bring in and what the ATS can push out. And then you work around that. It effectively becomes the foundation for the rest of your house. And if you've got a teeny, teeny, teeny foundation, I guess you're going to be forced to build a very, very tall house to get what you need. But if you've got a massive foundation, you have a lot more options. You can do a ranch or a one level or a split level or grow up if you want. It doesn't matter. You've got room on the foundation. But the ATS becomes that foundation because of the resources. Budgets determine strategy, unfortunately. The truth is the strategy should determine the budget. And by forcing yourself to go through an exercise like this, you get to get closer to that ideal. Meaning, you get to see what's truly necessary and what's truly nice to have. And then say, do I need it? And then you get to say things like, if I didn't have it, what would I replace it with? How would I change the rest of the system to either cover that loss, work around that loss, or maximize some other place mitigating that loss? 
For example, you no longer have money for job boards. I know. Calm down. Calm down. Oh, take a breath. I'm just, it's, it's purely a thought exercise. Calm down. No one's taking your job boards away, okay? It's okay. Take a breath. It's all right. But let's pretend in a world far away, someone took away your job boards. It's okay. Just breathe. Just breathe. What would you do then? How do you know that people can find your jobs? Well, suddenly you have to invest more in brand awareness or employer brand or recruitment marketing or, or, or. There's a lot of other ways to do it. There's a lot of other ways to get awareness of your jobs. There's plenty of companies in this world that probably never have to push their job to a job board because they're so famous, people find them already, right? You think Google spends a lot of money pushing jobs to a job board? Well, no, because now they've got Google for jobs, so I guess they made their own job board, but that's neither here nor there. Plenty of companies have great brand awareness. Companies that show up on those lists, you know, those lists over and over and over again, don't have to spend the same amount of money on the job board as you and I might because we have to, we don't have that same kind of brand awareness or our brand awareness is not particularly positive or we're not big enough to justify or whatever. You have to think about strategically. You have to see the whole board. If you take one piece away, can you cover with the other pieces? Can you shift things around to make it so that – so if you save $100,000, making numbers up, on not spending money on job boards, where do you spend $50,000 so that you still get the same quality number and number of quality applicants? Is it um, – and if you're looking for developers, is it – quizzing and, 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 and challenging, you know, code challenge type things? Maybe. Is it buying content in tech-specific magazines? and, and Maybe. Is it profiles of your tech people and how wonderful they are? Maybe. Could be a billboard. I don't know. But you have to choose. How do you make sure that if you stop doing those job boards and 10,000 applicants aren't going to show up through that job board this year, where do those applicants come from instead? That's how you have to approach this instead of how do I take what I did last year and survive and squeak it through the eye of the needle for this year? That's the trick. So that's the challenge. So start with that exercise of, of, of what would you do? And, and I mean this. Bring your leadership into it. You got, And, of course, you're going to be smart enough to couch this as an exercise and not a, hey, look, it's all a trick. We turns out we actually are going to do this for 50% less. By the way, three of you are fired. That's rude. Don't do that. And know that people are going to think about that or wonder about that before you do it. So plan accordingly. But truly getting your people to think about what would you do if. How do you, if you have multiple teams, how do they support each other so they're not quite as siloed to maximize some money? Again, forcing them to get into weird spots where they have to get creative and not just say, well, I just use this tool that I've always been using. Forcing them to get out of that box is how you rethink your entire strategy connect and showing them here's what the business wants to do next year they want to maximize quality they want to you know grow new offices they want to grow 10 percent. whatever that number whatever their business objective is bring it to them and say how do we do this with less how do we do this radically different and you know for uh, some of this is also you know a social issue meaning does anybody here have a friend in the business Right? If you are running HR, you're running talent acquisition, you're a talent acquisition manager, chances are many of your friends are also talent acquisition managers and leaders in other companies. And you all share your tidbits. You all share your tricks and your tips and, hey, this is working and, hey, this isn't working. You all share. And there's, that's great because it's super helpful to find out that you are the only one not using Glassdoor. You're the only one spending three times as much as everybody else on Glassdoor, whatever it is. It's good to know that. 
Trust me, the, the vendors for these companies will happily tell you that everybody spends $200,000 on this, and it's not true. And trust me, I've been on that side of the table. I know the tricks. I've used the tricks. We're going to tell you whatever it takes to get the maximum share of your wallet. And while we're good partners generally, we're not always 100% accurate. And that's the nicest way to say that. Um, and so you share information with other people in the industry. The other side of the dual-edged sword there is that you are expected to match what they do. Everybody else is using LinkedIn. I guess I better use LinkedIn. Everybody else is moving to Glassdoor. I guess I better start moving into Glassdoor. Everybody's doing content. I guess I better start thinking about fo focusing on content, right? Most of the articles in our space is of how do you do, how do you play follow the leader? How do you do uh, what everybody else did? Oh, Google says we should do this, and here's the how they do it. Great, we should do that too. Everybody read Laszlo Block's book, right? Everybody went, oh, is that how Google does it? Well, Google's number one employer of the world. I guess that must be the blueprint for how they did it. Wrong. Absolutely, 100% wrong. That book is all how they decided to use the resources they had at their disposal. And by the way, there's some interesting tidbits of things you can learn about how people work and how people perceive and how people want to get information. But that is not a blueprint in any way, shape, or form of how to become the next Google. It's not. So stop telling yourself that. So consequently, you know, so all these articles are all about how do you keep up with the Joneses, right, so to speak? How do you do what everybody else is doing? What are best practices, which is a term if I never heard again, I would be super thrilled with. I hate best practices. Best practice is a lie. It's a lie. I think we have a whole podcast about why best, best practices suck, so I won't bore you with this one. But you have to think differently, and you can't, can't play the game of, I'm going to do what everybody else did, because it doesn't work that way. You are you. You are unique. You are special. What you're trying to do is special. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I talk to vendors all the time, and, you know, I, we ask the same question of what do other companies spend or what, you know, what's common. And the truth is everybody starts with a company your size, blah, 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 blah. That's a lie. A company of a thousand people that's an e-commerce company is not the same as a company of a thousand people that's a manufacturing company is not the same as a company of a hundred of a thousand people that's a large chain of restaurants. These are radically different things. Thus, they need radically different amounts of tools and radically different tools. Stop comparing yourself. You need to be forced to think creatively, and I think the best way to do it is to work on that exercise. So I encourage you to do that. That's a good enough podcast. That's 32 minutes. I'm so glad you all joined with me and stuck around with me. Uh, blah, 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 webinar stuff. Please join in. Um, two more to go. I've got two people <laughs> Two people I know very well, or at least I, I respect a great deal because I've talked with them on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. You should definitely pay attention to these. One of them is like right before Thanksgiving. Sign up. You get the recording later. You're gonna want the recording later. Trust me on this. I can I can guarantee you it's a win. Uh, and then I'm doing a employer brand 201 for Career Arc uh, in a week or two. You should sign up. How do you find it? I'll put it in the show notes. But if you just Google James Ellis Career Arc 201, it'll be there. Um, otherwise, turns out I'm gonna be at ERE in the spring. I'm I, I'm stunned. I'm thrilled. I can't wait to go. If you see me there. Don't punch me. <laughs> say hello or say you suck. That's fine, but let's let's avoid the physical violence, people. Come on. Um, I'm going to try and see if I can figure out a way to, to do a live uh, podcast from ERE as well as social recruiting or social recruiting strategies conference in San Francisco in February. So lots of good stuff coming up. The podcast churn away. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for rating and reviewing us. I love it. I appreciate it. If you have an idea, something you'd like me to talk about, something you want my opinion on, I know, right? Weird. 
just ping me on Twitter at the War for Talent or go to the website, thetalentcast.com. You know how to do it. Um, I would love to answer your questions and talk to you and, you know, come up with ideas uh, beyond what I'm in, is in my head. I'd love to kind of think about that stuff with you. So uh, with that, I end the podcast and I hope you have a great week. See you next week. Bye. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.